from Tokyo, Japan, and Changsha, China. This is Down to Business English with your hosts, Skip Montreux and Des Morgan. Des Morgan, great to be back with you. How's life treating you? Ah, not so bad, Skip. Although the university I'm teaching at is really busy at the moment. Busy? I would have thought the semester would be winding down at the moment. It is, but at the same time, prospective students and their parents are here to take the entrance interview for next year's admissions. No, of course. A nervous time for students and parents, I would imagine. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. How are things with you, Skip? To tell you the truth, my teaching schedule recently has gotten really busy. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yes, it's very good. But it is a little unusual for this time of year. I'm not sure why, but I have suddenly found myself teaching several overseas preparation courses. Overseas preparation courses? Ugh. Are you helping business people with their English to prepare them for transferring to another country? That's exactly right. Oh, and where are they off to? Normally, the people who take this course are transferring to the US or someplace in Southeast Asia. But in this case, the people I'm working with are on their way to India. Well, that doesn't surprise me uh, that much, to be honest. Oh, really? Why is that? There's a lot going on in India, business-wise. I suppose so. In fact, the Indian stock market's really been on a tear so far this year. Really? I was not aware of that. But then again, I don't really have my finger on the pulse of what is happening in the business world in India. You should. They are, after all now, the world's most populous country. Mm, very true. India overtook China in April of this year to become the country with the world's largest population. That's correct. India wasn't projected to overtake China until 2027, but it happened a full four years earlier than anyone expected. You know, Devs, we are going to have to do a better job here on Down to Business English of reporting on business stories out of India. Yeah, I agree. Even though we have reported on two of India's major airlines this year, we haven't really delved very deeply into the Indian markets or indeed the Indian economy. Shall we try to rectify that today? Yeah, let's do that. Let's get D2B down to business with understanding India's economic growth, demographics, markets and foreign investment. So let's start off with Indian demographics. Great idea. Demographics always play a key role in the health of any economy. And one big aspect that is powering India's economy is its relatively young population. The average age in India is just 29. Compare that to China with a median age of 38.4 and get this. Germany at 45.9. Wow, India is a full decade younger than China. 
and almost two decades younger than Europe's economic powerhouse, that is Germany. A young population is such a positive economic indicator because people are working and earning. And they're also saving and consuming, which are both really good for the economy. Do you have any data on the size of India's economy? I do. Between 2010 and 2019, India grew from the world's ninth largest economy all the way to the fifth largest, jumping over the UK, France, Italy and Brazil in the process. Very impressive, especially now that India has become the most populated country in the world. It is, but the population data is not all rosy though. Why is that? It's believed that a full third of the population growth is predicted to have taken place in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh. What do you mean it is believed? They don't know? No, they don't. You see, India was planning to hold a census in 2021, but it was postponed due to COVID, so exact numbers are not yet known. I see. And Bihar and Uttar Pradesh, those are Indian states. That's right. They are in northern India and border Nepal. And why is it an issue that 30% of the population growth has happened in those regions? Because those two states are two of India's poorest. The richer states in the south have seen their populations either stabilize or in some cases even fall. So what you were saying is the increased population in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh may not add very much to India's economic growth going forward. Yeah, that's the concern. Okay, that is a snapshot of the demographics in India. Let's turn to the economy itself. What's happening there? The stock markets are certainly performing well. Up to the end of June, India's benchmark census index had risen 10% over the previous three months, while the border Nifty 50 index had jumped 11% in that same time. Sounds very positive. In fact, both indexes hit all-time highs at the end of June. I'm sure investors were happy with that result especially since many analysts had been concerned about how markets would perform amid the rising international tensions with Russia. How exactly would that be a concern? India is a major importer of Russian energy. Oh, of course. And the situation with Russia has certainly been unstable for the last year and a bit. But markets in India seem to have shrugged off those concerns and continued rising. And with good reason. The International Monetary Fund expects India to outperform all other major economies this year and post GDP growth of 5.9%. 5.9%? Well, that begs the question, where is all of this economic growth coming from? And the answer to that would be the largely urban middle class. It's growing rapidly in India, resulting in a greater number of consumers with higher levels of disposable income that can be used for discretionary spending. So, domestic consumption is the driving force. Yeah, partly. 
But it's important to note that income levels of the Indian middle class vary considerably, with the very wealthy at the top end all the way down to those with a more normal level of income. Which means, I guess, that there is demand for a wide range of products, from high-end luxury goods to more standard but still discretionary purchases. That does seem to be the case. It's interesting that Peter Elbers, CEO of Indigo, said it as the rise in disposable income that prompted his airline to put in such a large order with Airbus. Oh, you were referring to their recent purchase of 500 narrow-body aircraft that we mentioned in our last D2B episode together. Yes, that's the purchase that Elbers was referring to. Well, that makes perfect sense. People with more money in their pockets are likely to want to take a vacation or go and visit friends and family. In another sign of confidence in the Indian consumer, Apple opened its very first bricks and mortar stores in India, in Mumbai and Delhi in April. That's good for you, Skip, if ever you decided to visit India. You should feel right at home in an Apple store. <laughs> Indeed, a true home away from home. Okay, so we've talked about the demographics and now the Indian markets. Is there anything else that we should talk about in terms of the Indian economy? Indeed there is. The other aspect driving growth in India is foreign investment. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has been travelling to meet with heads of state from around the world, setting out positive reasons to invest in India. Didn't he meet with President Biden last month? He did, and he met with Australian Prime Minister Albanese before that. And does his charm offensive seem to be working? <laughs> it's a bit too soon to tell. But this charm offensive is the latest instalment in the Indian government's production-linked incentive schemes, or PLIs for short, that were implemented in March 2020. PLIs. What are these PLIs all about? These schemes offer support to foreign companies thinking about setting up production facilities in India across a wide range of industries. For example? Oh, everything from high-end electronics to automobiles, chemicals, white goods, even drones and drone components. That is quite a range of items. To give you an example of a PLI in action, at the end of 2022, Apple announced plans to move production of some iPhone models to India in a bid to lessen its reliance on Chinese production sites. And this was a result of receiving tax incentives from the Indian government as part of the PLI scheme? It was a big part of it, yes. Not a bad idea on Apple's part. With factories in China locked down at that time due to the COVID pandemic, those lockdowns affected Apple's supply chains and therefore sales worldwide. So diversifying production seems wise on Apple's part. A report by Bank of America points out that Apple wants to increase its iPhone production in India 
from the current 7% of worldwide production to 18% by 2025. Hmm, that is quite a big jump. Currently, Apple manufactures the iPhone 13, the iPhone 12, and the iPhone SE in India, but may be planning to manufacture higher-end models in India as well. Well, that goes along with what I was just reading online the other day. Oh, and what was that? I was reading on Bloomberg that India's largest conglomerate, Tata Group, is reported to be close to an agreement to acquire the Wistron factory, which is an Apple supplier factory, as early as August of this year. I haven't heard about that. If the deal goes through, it would be the first time an Indian-owned company would be assembling iPhones. Well, there you go. Currently, all of the apples assembled in India is done by Apple suppliers like Foxconn. Tell me, Des, with all of these positive factors going on, does this make the Indian market a good place to invest? Ah, there is a slight problem there. Unfortunately, Indian stocks are now quite expensive, trading at a premium of 70% compared to equities in other emerging markets and even a 10% premium to US stocks. Sorry, Des, can you explain what that means, trading at a premium to us non-traders? When you say a stock trades at a premium compared to other countries' markets, you're saying that for a similar stock in a similar industry, you would pay a premium. As an example, Indian technology stocks are 10% more expensive than those that trade on the NASDAQ in the US and 70% more expensive than any other developing country stocks in that same industry. Okay, I got it. So even though the Indian markets are expected to outperform those in the US and Europe, paying a premium for a more risky alternative doesn't sound like a wise investment. And I would concur. At the very least, you'd really need to know what you're doing when it comes to investing in India's stock markets. Very interesting. And with that, I think it is time for us to get D2V down to vocabulary. Do you find down to business English helpful in your English studies? Consider becoming a D2B member today to learn and retain even more words, phrases and expressions used by native English speakers in professional situations. What do you get with a D2B membership plan? First, bonus content in the form of exclusive members-only D2B episodes. Second, expanded D2V or down-to-vocabulary episodes that accompany each public episode of Down to Business English. Third, full access to the entire library of D2B audio scripts, all the way from Season 1, Episode 1, to our most recent D2B episode. And on top of all of that, D2B members receive automatic email delivery of audio scripts for recently released episodes. No longer will there be the need to go through the time-consuming process of visiting the website, 
logging into your account, locating an episode, and then downloading the audio script file. Interested in becoming a D2B member? Visit the Down to Business English website and click on the membership link at the top of the page to sign up and start enjoying these benefits today. I will get the ball rolling with the adjective prospective. When you describe a customer or a client as a prospective customer or a prospective client, you are saying that they are likely to buy your product or service in the future. So it's similar to the adjective possible then? Yes, they are synonyms. In the story, Des referred to prospective students visiting the university he teaches at, meaning they were not students yet, but were expected to be so in the future. I attended a staff meeting recently when we discussed prospective changes to how teachers assess students due to an increasing use of AI in their assignments. Oh, so you were discussing possible changes in the way you grade your students to account for them possibly using artificial intelligence. That's right. It's a really big concern at the moment. AI keeps popping up everywhere, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. Next, I will talk about the two-part verb, shrug off. Shrug, like when you shrug your shoulders to show you don't care or don't know something. Yeah. Idiomatically, shrug off means to dismiss something as unimportant. In the story, I said that the Indian stock markets shrugged off concerns over instability in Russia, meaning the markets didn't seem concerned by this. A very cool idiom. If you had a co-worker who never completes their tasks on time, or is always getting poor results. You could say they were shrugging off his or her responsibilities. I worked with someone like that once. Unsurprisingly, uh, he was let go eventually. <laughs> I think we have all worked with someone like that from one time or another. Unfortunately, I think you're right. What's the next word on our list? Well, I'd like to finish D2V today and talk about two very similar economic terms disposable income and discretionary income. Yeah, there are two important indicators that can be used to judge a company's or an individual's financial stability. That's right. Now, I said they are similar, but they are not exactly the same. Very true, and it is important to understand the difference. Disposable income refers to the income a person has remaining after taxes are paid. Discretionary income is the amount of income a person has after paying for all the taxes and all the necessities. You know, things like housing, food, and utilities. So, disposable income is after taxes and discretionary income is after taxes and all necessities. Exactly. In today's report, Des referred to increases in discretionary spending by India's middle classes. He simply meant that India's middle class has more money in their pocket after paying taxes 
and for necessities. They can then spend more on non-essential things. You often hear on the news about national and local governments' non-discretionary spending. This is spending on essential items like education, hospitals and the police. Things that must be paid for by the government. Compared to discretionary spending on the arts and culture projects. Things that are beneficial but are not strictly necessary for society. Well, I think that depends on who you ask. Would you like to help D2B reach more people wanting to improve their business English skills? Be sure to follow D2B on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any place podcasts are found. While you are there, leave a rating and a review and tell everyone how much you enjoy the show. Thank you, Des, for that report on the economic landscape in India. My pleasure, Skip. I've travelled to India many times in my life, but I haven't been there in a while. Oh, that's right. When we used to teach together at the same college in Tokyo, it seemed you used to go to India every summer. How many times have you been there? Uh, I've been there a total of six times, but the last time was in 2015. So I'd like to go again to see how things have changed. I'd like to make a trip there myself, as I've never been. Definitely try to make a trip there. It would be well worth it. D2B members, the bonus vocabulary for today's episode will drop within 24 to 48 hours. So be sure to look for that in your members-only RSS feed. The bonus vocabulary that we will touch on will be the verbs to rectify, to prompt, to implement, and to concur, as well as the expression, a charm offensive. And if you are not a D2B member, do consider becoming one. D2B memberships not only give you access to bonus vocabulary, but you also get exclusive member-only D2B episodes, as well as audio scripts for each and every D2B episode. Not to mention complete access to our audio script library of over 265 D2B episodes. And counting. For more information on becoming a D2B member, just visit the D2B website and click on the membership link at the top of the page. Definitely check that out. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Have a comment or question about today's show? Don't be shy. Visit the D2B website or Facebook page and post any comments or questions there. Skip, Des or Samantha will be sure to leave a reply. Down to Business English. Business news to improve your business English.